Hello and welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast, the only two-player podcast that actually plays great at three. I'm your host tonight, Mr. Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jacob Kloppenstein. And we have a third mogul once again today. Third mogul, introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ambie Valdez. I am usually a co-host of the Board Game Blitz podcast, but today I'm a mogul. Yes, (laughs) moving up in the world. Awesome. (laughs) <laughs> Very excited. Ambie's also well known for doing 18xx intro videos on the Dice Tower Network. And we're happy that you're out there creating that content for the world because, well, first off, we don't have to. And second off, because they're they're awesome. How they've been doing as far as number of viewers? Well, the first few, which are like the main intro videos, got, I think, 10,000 views. Um, but the more recent ones, which are going more into basic strategy now, uh, are getting like one to 2,000 so far, I think. Wow, I didn't even know sure. there's that many 18xx folk in the world. <laughs> well, they're not all 18xx <laughs> folk. That's that's what's exciting about it. Right. We're having more and more people join this weird rabbit hole that is 18xx. That's so awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you for doing that. So have you been getting feedback from viewers saying, hey, I- I've always wondered what this thing is and I've decided to give it a whirl and wow, I'm hooked. Have you been getting mm-hmm. any of that feedback? Yeah, some people comment that. And then I've also go to conventions uh, well, in the past, I go to conventions every once in a while and um, people ask if they want to learn to play an 18xx game. And sometimes I'm able to teach them. Actually, my husband is able to teach them because he's the teacher. But that's awesome. Oh, that's very great. And also, too, you've got quite the uh, comedic dulcet singing voice, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's actually the first thing that I did in terms of board game media, I guess. Back in 2014, I started making board game song parodies of Disney songs specifically. <laughs> Um, but i've branched out to non-disney songs now well i think you probably ran out of all the disney songs right (laughs) yes (laughs) i I started running out of them (laughs) i was gonna say there's only so many ways you can reframe let it go (laughs) awesome well we're so happy to have you on with us today and hope you enjoy being a mogul for the day yeah i'm excited should be awesome before we hop into the kind of games we played this week why don't we do a quick update for our moguls con which we have talked about in every single podcast so far but we will keep on talking about it which is going to be september 27th through the 29th in lovely rosemount minnesota rosemount minnesota lovely rosemount minnesota Um, Just a little bit of an update. Please register if you're planning on coming. I know you've probably emailed us or texted us that you're coming, and we really appreciate that, but we'd really love to grab your information from our website. So go to that. Um, We actually own the URL mogulscon.com. So just go right there, and it'll bring you right to our splash page to register. We also are going to send out a Google document to try to get some information, which is going to be a fun little thing where we can have a virtual flea market there where people can sell some games they don't want anymore to other people. Get some more new new games that are lightly used. We're also going to try to organize some games that people want us to bring. And then also we are going to try to see when people are going to be there. So please register. That's why we need all your information. Also, Mark, I hear you have some pretty fun friends coming to this convention. I do. I have this crew that I've known for, geez, literally probably 30 years, at least more than that, 35 years. They're called the Maximum Overdrive Group, and they are really into making epic con productions of games, meaning that they they make a very elaborate 3D scenery and they make miniatures for games that don't have miniatures. They tend to go for like fighting and combat and dice chucky kind of Ameritrash games, but, you know, they've got a pretty broad variety of stuff. So all of their productions take up multiple tables and are are really an epic experience. Anyway, I have found out that uh, many of them are coming and they're bringing their big games along as well. So even if that's not kind of your jam gaming wise, 
it's cool just to see what they've done with that and uh, throw some dice and beat up on your next door neighbor. So I think the, the last one I played with them was a remake of a 1970s Mad Max Milton Bradley game. I'm sure some of you know which game this was. I don't remember, but they literally made around a hundred like Mad Max bombed out matchbox cars with like barbed wire on them. And they totally look like crazy Mad Max things with turrets on them. And the idea was that you were racing down a road and you could drop oil slicks and you know, blow out the tires of the vehicle in front of you. It was really cool. <laughs> Very cool. So that'll be awesome that they're going to be there. Um, you should be there, too. I know they're going to be there both Friday night and Saturday, and we'll probably have different games both nights. Cool. That's awesome. I'm excited to try some of that stuff. Also, in regards to our Moguls Con, we're doing a quick little giveaway of a copy of Tricks and the Phantom, which is the new release by Oink Games. Mark got this actually at Gen Con this past year, and we would like to give it away. So all you have to do to be entered to this thing is tweet out both a link to our registration page and then make sure to actually like add us in the mentions or whatever, just so we can see that you did it and do like hashtag MogulCon. You don't have to be attending for any reason, but we just want to get the word out there and we want to use our lovely listeners to get that word out there. So if you want a copy of Tricks in the Phantom, that's all you got to do. Go on Twitter, tweet some stuff. Special bonus. This copy has been autographed by Jun Sasaki as well. So it has. We When Mark was fully fanboying, this is the one that he had signed. So with all that fun admin stuff out of the way, why don't we go into the <laughs> games we played this week? And why don't we do the guest first? I see some fun games on your list here, Ambie, and I'm very excited to talk about them. Why don't you start us off? All right. So speaking of Oink games, I got to play a couple of Oink games recently. Some of the new ones, I got to play Mr. Face and Nine Tiles Panic. Ooh. So Mr. Face is by June Sasaki. It's a Dixit-like game. So you're making an emoji out of these cardboard shapes and you're doing it to some emotion. And then everyone like puts in their emotion cards to try to match it. And you're trying to guess which one it actually is. But the emotions aren't just like happy, sad or something. It's like, oh, no, I forgot my keys. Or like, <laughs> I left the stove on or did I? <laughs> so, so you're What's trying to make... smell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're trying to make this face that conveys that feeling. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Quick game. Well, and then on top of that too, we've both played this one as well and we, we like it and everybody gets to bid in what they think it is. Right. And then there's like a rule selector yeah. who gets to select and everybody gets to like bid on who they think the actual faces and you can try to fool people. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's really fun. You can make, you can seem really funny to your friends in the same kind of uh, way as like cards against humanity does, but without the silliness of that game. Yeah. And I guess there's a variant where you can take a selfie too. Oh really? Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. We're going to have to play that way, Mark. So Mark actually has a funny story with this one. Why don't you tell us that one? So uh, as an Oink fanboy and collector, a lot of times I end up ordering these things long before they're actually available in the U.S. And mm -hmm. that sometimes doesn't exactly work out the way you plan it to anytime you order an import game. And yeah. I knew that I was not getting a U.S. release, but I didn't realize that the game had cards in it that were written only in Japanese. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So all those emotion cards literally were just in Japanese. And I'm just going... Oh, whoops. This that might be difficult, difficult to play. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark, I still hope you, you actually do what you're supposed to do here, what you said you were going to do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I actually wrote Oink and Oink was very confused about how I got it since it, it wasn't released in the U.S. And I explained, I'm like, well, no, I actually bought it from someplace in Europe and had it shipped. And they were nice enough to send me the English cards, just no charge. They mm. just mailed them to me. Wow. And uh, that was sort of my first tip off that I'm like, oh, obviously they're going to release this in America. Got it. 
<laughs> what I actually was planning on doing, though, if that didn't work out, is I was going to use Google Translate on the goofy Japanese cards, whatever the weird emotion was, and use the mm -hmm. weird Google Translate on top of that so that the face you'd wow. have to make was gently buffering the smell or something like that. Or <laughs> yeah. Which would be add an entire layer of hilariousness to it. I think you should do that with a labeler. How's this game gone over in your playgroup, Ambi? Well, we only played it once, uh, and it was my friend brought it over for a game night, and it, we all had fun. So just you play around so everyone gets to be the uh, the person making the face, and I really liked it. Yeah, and it's got some really cute little geometric pieces in there, too, that are, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nice selection of semicircles and curves and squares and, you yeah. know, things that could be mustaches if they were artfully yeah. arranged or it could be like something in your mouth i think someone put like something sticking out of their mouth or something oh that's awesome that's hilarious oh, sure. yeah it feels like the yeah. me creator screen from the Wii back in my childhood i had big flashbacks back in the day <laughs> yeah cool that's awesome i was surprised at how expressive you could actually make the faces with that collection of mm -hmm. stuff definitely so that was Mr. Face, and on the mogul scale, I would give it a 1A. Awesome. <laughs> Look at that. New new guest. She jumps right in with uh, rating them like she owns the place. I love there it. It's perfect. Absolutely a 1A, and uh, love this game. Cool. And then you also mentioned that you played another new one game. Yes, Nine Tiles Panic, which I think you've already mentioned, and it's already on the mogul scale with a 1B. <laughs> yes. But What'd you think of this one? We're big fans. Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, Nine Tiles is my favorite oink game. Because yes. so, I like speed games. Amazing yes. you, you have the right taste. Yes. That's 100% my favorite <laughs> oink game as well. Or she's awesome at sucking up to the host. There you go. One of the two. Well, no. it's not your favorite. Or is it your favorite too, Mark? Of course oh it is. Oh my gosh. This, we're, we're, we're amongst friends. It's, this is good. It's a good game. But yeah, so Nine Hells Panic was, it's similar, but then it adds the route spatial aspect when you're building the city, which I thought was interesting. So it's it's more strategic, I guess. But it's still really fun. You know, that Nine Tiles formula is awesome and being able to make it into a gamier thing than it already is. That's a huge win. The box was really big, too. Yeah, it was. I'm, I'm hoping that Oink does go the big bat boxes versus the really deep ones, because my copy of Moneybags has the double deep one versus the double wide one. And there is no way that stuff fits in there. You need no. the width on that other ones. And I'm, I'm hoping they continue with it. And the double wide ones look way less awkward than the double deep ones. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a double deep one in person. Yeah, they're weird. They had double wide money bags at Gen Con, and I almost bought one just for that. But uh, I, I've got the double deep money bags also. Kind of silly. That's awesome. Well, we're big fans of Nine Tiles Panic 2. I'm hoping we get to play it more. And I hope they keep on kind of iterating on this whole idea. Did you actually get a chance to play with the advanced uh, score tiles and everything? Or are you just playing with the more basic ones? I'm not sure because it was taught by a friend who brought it again. Got it. So what what are the basic ones versus the advanced ones? They have little stars on them. The basic ones are way easier. They're just like the most girls in the town, the most dogs in the town. And then the more advanced ones are like take the amount of hamburgers and multiply it by the number of houses you have. And so oh, depending wow. okay. on what the ones come out, they can get really weird. And it really makes the game a little bit more than... You have to mm -hmm. factor a little bit more into your decision-making process of building the city than with the basic ones. Yeah, we just played the basic ones, and we only played it once, too. But Speaking of Nine Tiles, Jake. Yes? You got a new Nine Tiles game recently. 
I did. I haven't had a chance to play this, but Mark was kind enough to give me a wonderful wedding present for my recent wedding this summer. And it was something that I thought I would never get, which is the collector's edition of the Nine Tiles version, the Japanese-only wooden tile edition. And oh man, this thing is pretty. Yeah, for all of us Oink fans, it is something that is very rarely seen. You also bought yourself a copy there, right, Mark? Well, if, if I was going through the effort of shipping something through White Rabbit and ordering it in Japan, I might as well just have a second yes. one added right to it. Right, Jake? Right. Absolutely. And I'm actually really happy you <laughs> did because this is only a one or two player version of the game. Um, it has the same base rules as regular non tiles. The colors of the symbols are a little different. They only use three of the colors. So a handful of the symbols have the same color um, versus the original nine tiles where every single symbol is also associated with the color. But it is absolutely the most beautiful game that I own. It is so cool looking. Yeah, and the tiles were thicker than I would have guessed they were, too. I sort of I assumed they were going to be literally half as thick as they actually are because they're a full quarter inch thick. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I was expecting half that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they don't call it a collector's edition for nothing. It is awesome. We have to get together and you bring your copy and I'll bring my copy and we can Thanos them together to uh, make a four player game version of it. I am curious as to why they reduce the number of colors in it, though. I mean, I don't. Paint's paint, right? Yeah, it had to be some factory thing or something. I, I don't know. Maybe some aesthetic reason, but... Amazon says Nine Tiles Panic, thirty six ninety nine in stock October 23rd, 2019, so... Nice. The masses will get Nine Tiles Panic. And it did come with full English rules and English cards and everything, so seems yeah. to be an awful waste to go through the publishing effort on that one, only for the European English-speaking countries. What's well, Nine Tiles Panic. Jake, what'd you play? I played a whole bunch of fun stuff this week. Um, first, I'll start off with an online game of 1889 by Yatsukata Ikeda by Deep Thought Games. And 1889 is my favorite 1830 style full cap 18xx game. And we were able to play it online. I thought I was done with 1889 and I was completely burned out on it. In this play, I played with some new people that I don't play online with as often as other folk, and it completely opened up my eyes to this game, and I didn't think it would have happened. So not to bore the listeners too much, because we talk about 18xx games probably too often, but someone floated the one station token spot, the one station token company first. That was the first thing they floated, because having a handful of stations didn't really matter to them at the early part of the game, and then sold it down towards the mid game. And that person, I think, came in first or second, Mark, do you remember? He finished second, but he literally went from being a distant last to being within 5% of the leader. Mm, So it was an impressive comeback. I think it was more like 12 to 15%. But yes, completely agree on the amount that that he made a comeback. But I thought that that company was always the, whoever is the last person to float a second company that is actually going to float a second company will get that one. But seeing somebody start it and float it off early was an interesting spin on the head. I didn't think that would happen. So it was cool. Yeah, that's interesting because... That one doesn't start near much revenue. I know. And and I don't remember who had the port tile, but I don't remember it being important, which usually it's like the biggest early money thing. I floated the IR and did okay, but I anticipated that people weren't going to push for diesels and they did. So I lost by a lot. Yeah, my stretch was to try to lock down the northeast corner there around all the high money cities and just lock that out with tokens. 
And I ran out of gas and got token down. You certainly did. <laughs> so I couldn't go anywhere. We were just bullying you. Yeah, it was it was mean. But 1889 is a wonderful 18xx game. Um, probably my favorite of yeah. the pretty chromeless, less flashy ones. And I was happy to get an online play. Mm-hmm. Where does 1889 fit in your uh, favorites list? Yeah, 1889 is one of my favorite uh, 18xx games. I think um, it's definitely my favorite for introducing new people. We actually recently played it, introducing a new person. And in that one, the three trains were permanent. Really? Oh, wow. So, so you guys didn't even break sixes. Yeah. It's interesting depending like how you play and what happens. Either the three trains could be permanent or diesels could come out. Yeah. <laughs> it could be very different. Yeah. I didn't think it'd be like that because I think maybe a local meta has developed between games with usually me and Mark and a couple of other players. And it seems like the main flipping point for that is whether or not diesels will come out. And it kind of mm-hmm. follows the same progression where somebody will go early money with the teal company in the south there, which is usually me. And then somebody, Mark, usually goes the orange company and then somebody else does a handful of other things. But it seems to play out the same. And I kind of had that interpretation on this game. And then it completely changed up. It's weird. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something interesting. And this is a conversation that's had often is about what, you know, what's the best 18xx teaching game? And you mentioned that this is your favorite teaching game. What is about what is mm-hmm. it about it that makes it your favorite teaching game? The rules are straightforward compared to other 18xx games because I think it has pretty basic rules, like 1830 style rules. And then the game length is shorter usually. So we play it in like two to three hours in our teaching games. And then we own it. That's <laughs> that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Amby, let's be honest here. That doesn't really narrow it down. <laughs> yeah, you have all of them. <laughs> you have all of them. Yeah. But yeah, when we first got into Agent <laughs> games, my husband researched and then we bought a bunch of the games secondhand <laughs> that we thought we were interested in. So. so those of you that are interested in hearing what we're talking about with Amby's collection... Go out and uh, check out one of her videos on 18xx teaching, which she's usually posing in front of her 18xx collection. Yes, it is the it is the <laughs> biggest combination of the word or, or, or boxes with the number 18 on them. It is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we we also officially endorse the opinion of 1889 being a great teaching game. We have used it most recently to teach some newbies when we taught some local friends and it went over wonderfully well. Yep, I agree. The only thing I think that might unseat it is Chesapeake. Because having an extra train at those smaller guys that may or may not be thrown out of the game, plus an extra company might make it a little bit more well-rounded as a teaching game compared to 1889. But 1889 will certainly still be up there. For sure. So, Mark, what have you been up to this past week? What have you been playing? Hey, so uh, speaking of teaching... I've had the chance to teach Lahav again for the second time in about as many weeks. And this is uh, Uwe Rosenberg's classic uh, published by Z-Man game locally here that is about resource conversion in the port of Lahav in France. Um, we've talked about it recently in a couple of episodes, but it's, uh, you know, one of his very well-regarded games of his big box heavier games. And if you like Agricola and its tightness and sometimes painfulness, I'm pretty sure you'll like Lahav and like all the decisions in there. So what has been interesting about it is I think I really have stumbled upon the way to teach this game efficiently now that I've had a chance to do it a couple of times and really get people off and running quickly. Because what's nice about Lahav from a heavy game that you can get up and running recently is the amount that you have to teach to get people going is very small and you can actually sort of teach it in real time. So like the you don't really need to know the end game stuff in the first turn and you don't really need to know what all the buildings do and you don't really need to know anything other than 
here's how you take resources, here's how you can use your action pawn, and here are the opening buildings. And then as each opening building comes out, you can continue to reveal additional things that can be done in the game, additional actions. And I think it's also, what I also learned is it's important to give people a preview of a couple of things. Like it's important to say, hey, there's a building out there called the wharf that allows you to build ships. Ships are cool because that helps you not only ship goods late in the game and get money for it, but it allows you to help your feeding every round. It helps you provide a certain amount of food. So that'll be coming out in a bit. And then also there's this card later on that allows you to sell resources later on. So knowing those two things and knowing the basic action mechanism has generally been enough to get people off the ground and playing from what I've found. I really like that this game offers that. And with the big full teach, we explain the end game. The other weird thing about it is cool. You explained all this stuff to a newer player. Now they're going to not interact with those rules and things that you've pointed out to them for at least an hour while they're doing the smaller junior yeah, exactly. cards, right? <laughs> and then once you get to that point, you're going to have to re-explain mm-hmm. it anyway. So just doing a kind of wash over the uh, game is kind of a better way to do it anyways. Have you played this one, Abby? Yes. I've only played it three players with my husband and our friend. And he taught us. I don't even remember how he taught us. <laughs> so, so I haven't had experience teaching it. But yeah, I, I really like Love. It's a wonderful game. Are you a Rosenberg fan in general? Um, Not like... Not particularly. I like his games, but not. I'm not uh, super into them, I guess. Well, that's awesome. Ambie, I also see that you played some other cool, fun games this past week. What have they been? Yeah, so I played the Tramways Engineer's Workbook, which is a solo book game mm. based on tramways. So have you played tramways? No. No, and I'm yeah. a little embarrassed to admit it that we're kind of <laughs> new to the Alban Viard party, but we're getting yeah, there. I'm currently Googling it to see what it looks like. I've heard of this. (laughs) So yeah, both this and Tramways are by Albin Viard and AV Studio Games. I played Tramways a couple years ago at a convention and I didn't particularly like it (laughs) because it has three parts to it. There's an auction, which is pretty interesting auction, but auctions are not my favorite thing. So that didn't make me like it. And then there's like a deck building part where the cards that you draw are what let you do different actions to build your routes and deliver uh, passengers to places on the map. I didn't like the card draw of that either. But I do like the route building part, which is what Tramways Engineer's Workbook is. It's basically just the route building part in a puzzle. And I like puzzles. (laughs) So So this is built for you. Yeah. So it's an efficiency puzzle. I've only played four of the episodes. I think there's like 48 episodes. And as the episodes go on, they, they introduce new rules. So you're trying to like deliver all the passengers by the end of six rounds and you have to do it in so many turns. You kind of have to do it perfectly. And I like efficiency puzzles, so it's pretty fun. So I have a couple of questions with this. I'm looking at it. It seems like it's all laminated. Is this a game where you Mm -hmm. can do the puzzles multiple times or once you finish with it, you hand it to a friend that then gets to do it? Or kind of how does that work? Yes, I actually borrowed this Uh from a friend. So you use a dry erase marker and you can erase it. And like if you mess up and have to redo it, because if you don't do it right, then you're not going to be able to complete the objective. Then you erase it and start over. When I was playing the Arkham Horror collectible card game, I did not like it just for like a story. I would try to make it, I would do it on the hardest difficulty and I would Mm -hmm. try to make sure I can beat on the hardest difficulty because it's stupid hard. (laughs) And so I like the idea of not even being able to solve the puzzle unless you do it really well and having to Mm -hmm. do it perfect. I want to get an A rating. I don't want to just get a B or a C and be able to pass. So I'm looking right now on... 
avstudiogames.com. And if you look up the Tramways Engineers notebook on there, you can actually download both the rules and they have the very first, the first five puzzles available as a printout. So, you know, if this sounds interesting to you, you can actually print out the first five puzzles and the rules and give it a whirl. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to do this. This looks kind of (laughs) neat. Yeah. And then if you like it, there's 48 in the actual book. So there's a lot more and they keep adding rules. And it looks like it's actually for sale also from avstudiogames.com is looks like where if you wanted a copy, that's where you'd get it from. So for this game on the mogul scale, I would give it a 2C, I think. Maybe three. I'm not sure because I've only played four of the episodes and they keep adding rules. So by the time it gets to the end, it might be three. But the way they introduce it is easier. Yeah. It depends so, on when you start. Are you? Do you have to play the the starting ones mm-hmm. to get to the later ones, or can you kind of play them in whatever order? Just like oh, I want to do forty eight today. Well, like the rules compound on each other, so you'd have to read all the rules. Oh, it's not just like each one. Now this yeah. one has this one weird thing. So Got it. You could play yeah. forty eight, but you just have to read all the rules first. Yeah. No, thanks. That seems like a bunch of work. Well, cool. That's great. I'm excited to try these, Mark. Hopefully you, you print it and get it because I always like when one of us buys solo games because we both get to play it. Yeah, this is this is cool. I'm looking at this right now. And yeah, literally in episode one, it adds a new icon where you can reclaim tickets and no passengers. Then episode two, it adds mm-hmm. a mountain space. Episode three, it adds a lake that you can't build on. That's neat. Thanks for pointing this out to us. We're going to have to spend more money because you know. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> So I also got to try a newer game this week, which is called The Quacks of Quedlinburg, which is published by North Star Games and designed by Wolfgang Warsh. What you're doing in Quacks of Quedlinburg is we are making little potion batches things that we're trying to sell to different people in the market. Um, you don't actually sell them, but how you're doing this is there is a whole bunch of different components that you get to grab, and each one of them has a number on them. And whenever you grab one of these tokens out, you advance a little marker on a little spiralized little track that is going to go to a certain level. And depending on how high you get, you get to A, buy more components to put back in your bag to grab out, and B, you get a certain amount of victory points with that. The only issue is there's these white, I don't know what they look like. They kind of look like little uh, bulbs of some kind that are on like a little strand that are counting out to a certain value. So let's say you have three of them out there. That's fine. But once that cumulative value of the white component gets up to seven or above seven, you will actually explode. And then you will have to choose to either score victory points or score your actual components. Have you guys played this one before? I have. Do you like it? Uh, yeah, it's a quick, easy game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's nothing crazy. And so I originally really hated this game. I absolutely didn't like my experience with this. I've actually done something I never do in games and just noped out of it after a few rounds, oh, wow. which is something I never do, and especially in a game this bad, in this short. And I think the reason was originally the components that it comes with are these thin little wooden, or not wooden, cardboard Card- shits. Mm-hmm. And so what that does is it they're really hard to grab out Mm. and it just really aggravated me. It was like this similar to me feeling of like nails on a chalkboard. And so what that would do is it just made me completely dislike the action of playing the game. But my uncle, he was able to buy the fancy BGG pieces that are new, big, clanky, colorful plastic pieces, which is awesome. And it made me actually enjoy the experience. So I wasn't like having that nails on a chalkboard feeling with the grabbing out of the bags. And so I was able to actually appreciate the game for what it was. We played it twice back to back and had a great time with it. I will endorse this game to a slighter amount with the actual components. And I will actually finish two games of it in a row versus leaving after two rounds. 
Wow. I haven't played with the BGG bits yet, but we ordered the BGG bits and have them now. We just don't have the game yet because we have that on an order with a pre-order. <laughs> oh, gotcha. So you're just waiting in some cart somewhere yeah. waiting to come to you. Yeah, I, I would. I, it makes the game a lot more fun, um, I think. It just made me able to not dislike what I'm doing. And I kept on thinking, well, why isn't this just a deck of cards? do the same exact mm. thing and it just made me so frustrating to like reach in and grab the little things i just really didn't like it but now with the new base bits i was i was a big fan so say what you will about blinging components but if it makes me actually not despise playing the game i think that's probably a win yeah it seems like games that where you are retrieving things from a bag having an actual something with some weight actually makes a big difference i mean we're going to get a lot of harassment about how we value a game by how nice the bits are <laughs> But I can say this with all honesty regarding Orleans that, man, there's something so much more satisfying about fishing around and pulling out a actual token that's made of plastic and has some weight to it rather than a thin little cardboard chip that it's it really makes experience of playing it tactically better. Which helped me enjoy the game for the mechanisms more than I previously did. So I, I agree. It's got there's something there. You know, I didn't play this with you. You're at the next table, but boy, they look more beautiful. I mean, it's it, it's eye catching with all those little jewels all over the table now rather than just little printed cardboard things. Absolutely. So while I was playing this, you were not you were playing Lahav, but you also got to play a fun solo game this past week. Right, Mark? Speaking of upgraded bits. Yeah, this game's ridiculous. Yeah. So I brought this game with just because I had to show off the craziness that is Edge of Darkness, the new John D. Clare game published by AEG. I didn't anticipate it when I kickstarted this thing that this would actually arrive in a Gloomhaven size box and have everything but the kitchen sink inside of it. Just due to the amount of space that's taking on my shelf, I mean, I figure it takes three games worth of space, so I probably should prioritize it to play because it's a lot of game to have sitting around taking up space that I'm not playing. So I wasn't quite ready to pull it out and play it last Wednesday when I brought it along, but... I decided that I was going to just buck up and play the solo game because I'd heard some vibe that maybe the solo game was pretty good on this one. So I thought I'd give that a whirl. And for those of you that don't know, Edge of Darkness is the new card crafting system game that was popularized initially by Mystic Veil, where you have a clear sleeve and you add things to the cards to make them more powerful over time. And then you play them out and get the benefits that are printed on those cards, which eventually grow. This is an interesting change on that one, and I know it's been called a deck builder on some occasions. I really would actually consider it a hybrid game more so than a pure deck builder. I mean, it's a deck builder in the same way that Great Western Trail is a deck builder that, yeah, there's a deck building component of it, but that's only a portion of the game. The rest of the game is using that deck building in order to do actions on the board and then to continue to build your deck better and to use those actions to gain victory points and defeat monsters and do other things throughout the course of the game. I maybe wouldn't recommend trying to learn the game and learn the warped solo rules at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy that solo rules exist in games but I'm never going to use it as a way to teach the game. I'm most likely going to play a multi-handed, like three-player, like I'm each one of the three positions games when I'm learning a game. Yeah, because um, the challenge there is that you're actually, it's, it's almost like you're learning two games in parallel when you're trying to learn a solo game that warps the original rules because you you start by learning the real rules, but then there's a complete addendum to it that says, okay, now instead of doing it that way, now do it that way. So you're constantly cross-referencing back and forth between the solo rulebook and the original rulebook, just trying to figure out how on earth the game is played. And four rounds into the original play, the game actually goes eight rounds plus a prologue normally. 
about four rounds into it, I just folded it and restarted it because I realized I was so far off base with the rules mistakes that I had made that I just reset and tried over again. And second time through went much smoother. So I ended up losing the solo game, but um, it's an interesting game. I'm really curious to see how it plays out in person. It does some unique things that other games don't do in that it's a cooperative deck building game that you use those to get actions. So you're all contributing towards building up cards of yours that are better in the deck and everybody drafts off the same cards, which you then use to do actions. And that's an interesting twist on it. And I'm curious to see what strategic ways you can warp the game by doing that. That's definitely one I'll be pulling out and bringing to the game night somewhat soon. Now, criticisms are certainly around there. For one, it's wildly overproduced. Like the agents, which are your workers. I don't know. They're not really workers. They're more like, uh, I don't know. They're like the assistants in Yokohama that the more of them you have there, the more powerful of an action you can do. The Kickstarter version of that is full of miniatures, and this game does not need to have miniatures. A token would have been just fine. Yeah, the miniatures look cool, but they really don't do anything for the game. I would also say that thematically, this one maybe doesn't really tie the theme together. Like like your old comment, Jake, that merely having some pretty art and a name is representing of the theme doesn't make a game thematic. And there's none of the actions that really made me feel like I was the leader of a guild trying to battle off evil from coming in from the frontier. I'm interested to try this one, but I will say I was a little worried when you came in. Behind the scenes, you guys probably don't know this, but Mark and I have this constant battle of bringing things to places. Mark is fine schlepping any amount of stuff anywhere. You bring this huge game bag to game night that we play at a game store, and then I bring this little small bag to game store. And so Mark showed up with a new layer that I didn't even know could happen. Mark brought two game bags to a game night. And I was so worried. I was like, how many games did you bring? And you're like, well, this bag, and you gestured to this, this, this smaller one, is just one game. And it literally filled the entire Cajon sides bag. So this thing is <laughs> massive. Wow. Yeah. Well, I like variety. So, you know, I got to bring a bunch of variety with me. And I had been working on the rules and I thought maybe there was a chance I could play it. So I thought I'd bring it with just in case. But in hindsight, I'm glad we didn't try it because I don't think it would have gone well. I didn't know the rules as well as I thought I did. All right. Well, that was Edge of Darkness. Hopefully we'll get to play that one sometime soon. Ambie, you also played one other game this week that I yes. know something about. Why don't yeah. you tell the listeners what it was? So I also played a game with minis. <laughs> this one is Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. It's a cooperative game based on the Lord of the Rings theme. <laughs> and it's the mechanisms are similar to Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, which is a cooperative game where you're exploring around fighting enemies and then there's an app that assists you. So the app tells you basically what things are out there, what things you can interact with and shows you how to set up the map and does all of the bookkeeping of damage and stuff, which is really nice. But the way you do fighting is through a deck instead of dice. So you have a deck of cards and you flip them over to do skill checks. So each person has different stats. And so if your stat is like four for your attacking, then you flip over four cards and then it tells you how many successes you get and you can use that to do damage, which I like. I think I like that better than dice because eventually you can upgrade the cards in your deck. So you start out with basic cards, but then like as you play through a campaign, you'll be able to upgrade your deck and get better cards in there. You can like mitigate that, which is interesting. I played it two players. So we just played the first, like the first chapter of the first adventure so far. And we had played four players at a convention at Dice Tower Con in July and we played the same scenario, but it felt different because I guess 
even with the same scenario, it still generates the map differently and the encounters differently because of the app. So you can still replay it, which is pretty interesting. Well, I like Mansions of Madness a lot, so I was somewhat interested in this one. And I kept on thinking I'd see somebody or somebody in the group be interested on it, but it's just been quiet. I rarely ever see it being played. I don't even see like a copy of it. We play at Fantasy Flight Games, so I always assume that I'm going like, to see a copy of their games there. Don't really see it. Don't really see a lot of people playing it, so I'm interested to hear that you actually like it. Yeah. well, It seems neat. I also like the Lord of the Rings theme a lot, so that might be part of it. But my husband does not like the Lord. I mean, he doesn't dislike Lord of the Rings, but he's not like a Lord of the Rings fan, uh, but he enjoys the game too. So, Yeah, I do think they have a copy of this on the game library shelf at Fantasy Flight Games. I mean, pretty much most of the big box Fantasy Flight Games are there. I mean, if you really wanted to show up and play TI4 off the shelf, you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tough to pull out the really big box yeah. fantasy flight games to to play when you're just showing up at a game store and need something to play quick. So we tend not to grab stuff from that shelf. It might be hard to just grab and play too, because you have to download the app. Sure. So, yeah. But oh, for the mogul scale, I was thinking maybe it's 3B because typical fantasy flight, it's more complex in the rules, but it's not super complex because there's the app to help you, but there's still a lot of rules. So Right. Because it seemed like before I saw somebody set up Mansions of Madness first edition and it seemed like homework. <laughs> you know, it was just somebody shuffling a deck and assembling things and putting things places <laughs> and having all of that offloaded makes it much more accessible. Yeah. Well, that's great. Lord of the Rings Journey in Middle Earth by mm -hmm. Fantasy Flight Games. Sounds pretty fun. The final game I was able to play this week was one that we talked about at length in the last podcast, which is Pax Vimir by Cole Worley and Whirligig Games. I have nothing to say about this game besides the fact that I love it. Um, I'm debating on selling all my other games because there's only one game that I want to play that is Pax Premier. Wow. So if you want a whole bunch of games, just let me know because all I need is just a single 5x5 Calyx with a copy of Pax Premier in the middle. Pax is love. Pax is life. Pax is everything. Pax's Bay. <laughs> so, Ambi, a little bit of funny background on this This one is that I, I kickstarted this back when Jake didn't. Jake really wasn't interested because he had a uh, pretty middling experience with Pax Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And at the kind of the last moment, he said, oh, add me as an add-on. I suppose I'll get one because I don't know if it's going to be available later on. Fast forward to well, a month and a half ago when the Kickstarters were all delivered. And it shows up and it's gorgeous. I think it came actually while you were on your honeymoon. So I sat on your copy for a while. Even then, you were you 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 had to have your arm twisted a bit to play this the first time. You were like, well, fine, I'll play it, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't interested. I was nearly 100% confident. I was like 90% confident I was going to flip the game and sell it on eBay, you know, and just try to get my money back after the first play. But you know what happened with it? It's one of those games, and this happened to me with 18xx, that the first time I played it, I sort of went, well, that was interesting, but, you know, okay, I'm probably good. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> just <laughs> kept processing in my brain about everything and then uh, got a chance to play it again not long after that. And that's when the hook got set for me. And I think that's kind of what happened with you on this game, Jake. Yeah, even beyond that, because I played it again another three days after our second play of it. And I still just can't stop thinking about all the different opportunities in this game. It's amazing. I, I just I, I don't know what else to say about it, but I'm just enamored with it. 
Yeah, it's a it, it's a pretty amazing game. Ambi, have you played this game at all or know anything about uh, it? No, I haven't played it. I don't know much about it either. <laughs> well, if you well if you ever up in Minnesota, I will have a collection of just one game, which is Pax Premier, okay. and you can play it as much as you want. <laughs> all, uh, right. all that you'll need is Pax. No, it's 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 fun though. I I am already starting to. I almost bought a used copy of renaissance to like kind of recircle back into that and see if it's maybe something i'd like more but um i think i'm gonna go slowly into this new subgenre of pax themed games and kind of try to make sure i understand this one before i move on to the next one because i think i did that kind of a silly way with 18xx where i jumped from title to title so quick i didn't actually have a a chance to like Mm. digest what i liked about certain titles and i was just trying to consume 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 so i'm gonna try to go a little more slowly here with the pax Premier system so or the pack system, pardon me, with Pax Premier. Awesome. Well, Jake, it's funny that you talked about getting rid of a whole bunch of games, <laughs> and uh, we all know you're joking. Maybe you're not, but we know, uh, you know, you'll never know, Mark. If you Maybe aren't getting rid of them, if, if you aren't joking, you know my address. <laughs> oh wait, I don't have collection space either. Ambie, do you have any shelf space at home? <laughs> no, <laughs> we have overflow already on the floor. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have a handful of shelves I can pull and re, re, remake, but I am contained. I could hardly imagine overflow. So based on that, we thought it would be actually fun to have a little conversation about what's the other side of acquisition. We talk a lot about acquiring and getting and so forth, but at a certain level, you run out of interest or you run out of space or you run out of money or you run out of your taste change. There's a lot of reasons for that where you, you decide that, well, maybe it's time to thin the herd a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious for you guys, your shelves are full. I'm assuming you're not done getting games. If you were looking to free up some space, where would you start, guys? What what would be your criteria for, okay, here's how I'm going to start picking which games I'm going to call out of here. So we actually do a big call every year. I used to be really bad at this, but my husband, Toby, is pretty good at calling things because he doesn't like having a bunch of stuff that he doesn't use. So one of the big criteria is games that we don't play. So we go through all of our games and if we haven't played it in a long time, we think about uh, like, are we going to play this again? Like, really, are you going to play it again? And I'm like, yes. And <laughs> But I've gotten better at actually truthfully answering that question. <laughs> but yeah, so we go through, like, even if we really like the game, like, for example, Captain Sonar is a game that we, we both enjoyed a lot and we'd enjoy it when we play it, but we only would play it when we had like a big party with a bunch of people because we like it with six or eight players and it was just hard to get played. So we got rid of that uh, last year, I think, even though we like it because we just never would play it. Even though we like a game, we might not play it and it's just taking up space and not doing anything else. And it's better going to someone else who hopefully will play it. Games are designed to be played and they're things that are supposed to be used. And by just sitting on them in a closet, at what point does it become hoarding, right? Yeah. Well, my mentality is pretty similar to yours. And I had the big problem before of that. I thought that I had to maintain this collection of like a well-balanced game library. Mm -hmm. Like I was going to constantly furnish. People were going to come to my house and just be like, oh, my God. Well, what if we need to run three tables of (laughs) midweight euros at the same time? And oh my God, well, I want an auction game, but I want it to be lightweight, but not too lightweight. Do you have that? And then I'd have to say, well, I only have modern art. That's way too lightweight. And so I'd buy all these things for like different (laughs) groups of people or like filling different niches in my gaming collection. I realized that was stupid. And so I bought way too many games that are just doing exactly what you said and sitting on the shelf Mm -hmm. and I have no love for them. 
but they're just something that I own for some reason. So I just have been just kind of get trying to get rid of them and only buying games for me. Like I even had games that some friends that I didn't play with as often as I do with my Wednesday group would consider their favorite games. And I just completely threw them. I, I just got rid of them. I don't need to make sure mm-hmm. to have a game that they are going to play with me. If they want it, they can buy it. And I offered it to them and they ended up buying it for me. And it was good win-win solution. I have a third category of games that end up getting voted off the island. These are games that I actually love and would play all the time if I could, but I can't find anybody to play them with me. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. <laughs> like what? It's, it's the love game that gets no love. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm staring at my really lonely copy of Sidereal Confluence. <laughs> that nobody will play with me. I'm staring at a bunch of Lacerda games that uh, are so pretty, but nobody will play with me. And <laughs> I quickly look away when you say that, trying to avoid the accusation, because that's 100% like, my fault. Like Kanban. Kanban is still sitting on my shelf and well, you know, it's certainly not my favorite game, but I've only played it a couple of times because I've taught three different groups of people to play it. And every time everybody went eh afterwards. So, yeah, I know. Poor Kanban. (laughs) I like Kanban. (laughs) I wish I knew if I like Kanban. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so there's a class of games that I end up getting because I like them. And unfortunately, I have difficulty finding friends that like them, so they end up not getting played. Yeah. On that note, a similar thing with us, since both Toby and I are gamers, we have to make sure, like one of the criteria for keeping a game is that we both like it. So if if one of us doesn't like it, then it's not really going to get played because we always play together. So for example, we got rid of War of the Ring, even though I liked it, he did not like it. That's a Lord of the Rings themed game. <laughs> and Kemet, he really liked and I did not like because I don't like area control that much. So. Oh. <laughs> My friend Ambi. <laughs> yeah, Mark is so, not a big fan of that. I, I love area not control. Not a fan of area I control. I love him so much. <laughs> but yeah, so both of those we got rid of, even though one of us like it, but the other one doesn't. So we don't get the chance to play it. What's your policy, Ambi? If you seem to play with a lot of people and play a lot of the people's games, just kind of. Mm-hmm. Judging that by your oink collection or, or playing all these oinks this week. But <laughs> what happens when somebody else owns a game in your game game group? Like Mark owns a whole bunch of games <sighs> that I'm very interested in. What would you do in that aspect? Yeah. So if if we like it enough and we would play it with someone else that's not them, then we can buy it. So, for example, Space Alert is one of my favorite games. And we played it with like our, our friend introduced it to us and they owned it. And we really liked it, but then we bought it so we could play it with other people too. But then if the people that we're going to play it with are the ones that own it and we wouldn't play it with anyone else, then there's no reason to get it. So for example, Sidereal Confluence, which Mark just mentioned, is um, <laughs> I think like three of our friends own it and they all are the ones that play it with each other. <laughs> and, and Toby was thinking, oh, we should get Sidereal Confluence. I'm like, we're just going to play it with them. <laughs> right. like, we don't need to get it. <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah. So this has been so. something I've been waning on a lot because I used to think, okay, well, Mark owns games. I can just borrow it from him. But now I've started to just buy games that I really like that other people own just because I want to have them. And I realized like maybe just wanting them and being control if Mark's not there for some weird reason and I still want to play Root, Mm -hmm. maybe I should buy a copy of Root, you know, or something (laughs) along those lines where it might help. But there still are some like I've never needed to buy a Lacerda game because you own them. And if I ever need one, Mm -hmm. you you will have them on on back and call. So it's interesting. Yep. Yeah, I guess for me, since I can just play two player games with Toby, we would buy more if we really like it. But like in the case of Sidereal Confluence, that 
you don't play that two players. So yeah, I, I, I would I would imagine the two player <laughs> variant for that game would not be very good, to say the least. As it turns out, this will not be the only time this episode will discuss sidereal confluence. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, cool. Mm, hang on tight, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once you've decided you're going to get rid of a game and move it on and, and so forth, the next thing is what do I do with this dumb thing? There's a lot of ways you can get rid of games. You can give them to friends. You can put them on uh, the board game geek. You can list them for sale on there. Mm-hmm. You can eBay them. What ways have you actually had rewarding success out of? Rewarding success. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you like ways that you found you're like, Oh man, that was great. That was, that worked super well. I was able to find somebody without pretty easily. They were mm-hmm. super happy to get it. And, or maybe I made, boy, I, actually made really good money selling that thing back if that's something you care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for us, um, we don't need the money from selling it. So we actually now have a party every year for Toby's birthday and we give away a lot of our games there. Oh, wow. Um, How do we get invited? That's cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sweet. Sounds good. Hey, Toby, it's me, your new friend, Mark. <laughs> so so we have like a mini convention, we call it. Um we call it T-Con, but, but we raffle off the games or I, we've done different things like raffle it or sometimes we raffle off specific games or sometimes we let them choose, but that takes a while. So I think the last time we just raffled off and then let them trade with each other. Nice. You guys figure so, it out. It's a new mini game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, that works pretty well. Other things we've done are math trades, which actually doesn't call your collection because you end up trading for a different game. So your collection size mm-hmm. stays around the same, but you get to cycle through different games and try out new games, which can be fun. I've always done BGG trades, and then I've done a whole mm-hmm. bunch of uh, Reddit sales as well. So I'll go on the art slash board game exchange. And that works out pretty well sometimes, but I find it's really easy to send, sell some games that are kind of like pretty good you know like the stuff that people like and maybe just didn't jive with you for whatever reason but there's a lot of games that i have that i'm trying to get rid of that are kind of in the to lame territory that not a lot of people Mm -hmm. are really wanting online and so usually my strategy with those is i'll offer like three for one on bgg or something for some trade or just price Mm -hmm. them really cheap just to have them get rid of them locally just to get them out but i like the idea of doing a little giveaway the only issue is if i did a giveaway locally they'd kind of know it's the junk that i'm getting rid of (laughs) it's not the prime stuff you know it's like who wants this old edition of suburbia who wants it cool oh you wanted small world cool i got that for you cool yeah so i'm trying to call hopefully get rid of some less games i think my issue is i just kickstarted so many games like a year and a half ago and they're all coming in now so there's just too many new things coming in and it's making my uh shelf grow to enormous sizes yeah. yeah, between the Kickstarter wave and Gen Con, I have accumulated a pile of <laughs> games that don't have a home yet. Mm-mm. And that has caused me to start uh, getting a little more vicious with my calling cycle as well. And I've got a pile built up right now and um, got to figure out what to do with those things. And I know, Jake, you and I have both successfully used Board Game Co. in the past, which is an online trader that basically prices out your stuff. And you can then spend those points for stuff that he has in inventory. And, you know, you're definitely not coming out ahead on that deal. But the other side of it, too, is it's a great way to get rid of some crap. Like turn six things you really don't care about into one thing you actually really do care about. And, you know, that's not a bad way to go. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, I think my uh, local game store also has like a trade in so you can 
give them your games because they sell used games and then you get store credit for it. We haven't done that, but people can probably check their local game stores for something like that. Yeah, we have one of those locally too, and I really should do it there, but it just feels weird just dumping off a whole bit, bin of uh, stuff for him and saying, <laughs> okay, it's, can you deal with this, please? Thanks. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. Well, yeah, Mark, I think you're, I, I did look on BGG recently just because I want to know, and obviously your shelf of shame on BGG of the games that you haven't played is not always truthful because that's all recorded plays and some games on your shelf of shame are games that you've already played, but haven't played your copy. Or haven't played since I started tracking. Right. Like it lists Citadels as a shelf of shame game. Correct. And, you know, I've probably played that 50 times in my oh, life. Oh, 100%. I just haven't played it Yeah, in I went through it two or three years. I think your shelf of shame, at least according to BGG, which is A, excluding some things and B, including things that that shouldn't be included. You're getting up there, bud. Yeah. I look at that as a, a challenge. challenge. All right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Time to learn some new rules. <laughs> oh, man. No, thanks. Well, at least you're doing it. And I, I don't have to carry the uh, carry the, the, the line share of weight there. I've got a. I probably have a stack of half a dozen games right now, which are getting voted off the island. And I just need to figure out how to best move those along. And to finally close out this conversation before we get on to our main topic. There been any games you've called you later regretted and or got back again? Mark, did you bring this up just to make me seem dumb in front of our new friend, Ambi? Because I have done this and it's super regretful. Um, I did it with that game called Arboretum by Dan Kassar and published recently by Renegade Games before it was published by Z-Man. So I bought this game when it was republished last Gen Con or was it two Gen Cons ago? And I really tried to like it. And I was playing a rule wrong, so it completely felt like a different game to me. And it did all the things that all the reviews and everything said it would do, but it just wasn't as refined as I thought it was. So I was like, oh, people just must really like what this game has to offer because it's doing it. It's just not really turned up to 11. And then I fixed the rule and realized this, and then Mark and I both went out and bought a copy. So it only took six plays of playing it wrong to realize that uh, maybe something was wrong here. <laughs> what about you, Ambie? Um, I can't think of any games that... We've gotten rid of that I've regretted getting rid of. There were games that we got rid of that we were planning on getting back later or getting a different version. For example, Crokinole, we had like one of the Mayfair boards of that and we wanted to get a nicer board, but we just haven't gotten around to getting the nicer board yet. So now we don't have a Crokinole board. <laughs> and we're Sans like, we Crokinole. <laughs> So that's probably the closest because we keep saying, oh, we should get one, but we haven't gotten around to getting it yet. I think that's the move I'm going to make with my copy of Kanban. I have all the Eagle Griffin ones stacked up right next to it. And yeah, I'd really rather have a Kanban made by Eagle Griffin personally. So maybe get rid of it now before the new edition comes out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think I can make it a couple of years until that actually happens. True, 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 true. All right. Why don't we move on to our full fat big topic of the day, which we sure. is actually a repeated topic that we did with our good friend Dan Thoreau. And we liked the topic so much and realized we could do it again. Why don't we do it with more guests? Because It's kind of a fun mm -hmm. glimpse into the psyche of guests. So what we did back in the episode with uh, Dan Thoreau is we had what uh, was called a Cinderella game night. The idea was that everybody picked a theme of whatever you wanted it to be. It could be whatever crazy idea you wanted your theme to be. And then you pick a small, a medium, and a large game that fit that theme. And just talk about that game night and what that Cinderella game night would look like. So back then we had some interesting things like I did three sizes of the same game, which were The Expanse and Twilight Struggle and 13 Days, which were really three versions of the same game. Dan did games that were all pushing the fringe on what board games could be. And that included games like Seal Team Flicks and The Grizzled. 
And then Jake did uh, getting everybody ready to play Indonesia and kind of smaller <laughs> games that broke apart the different components for that. So I'm anxious to see what you guys have cooked up tonight for your themes. Yes, I'm such a fan of doing this. We should maybe just pivot the Game Moguls podcast and have it be just the Cinderella Game Night podcast. <laughs> That's not the worst idea I've ever heard, Jake. Right. Why do we call it the Cinderella Game Night? Didn't, didn't we originally call it the, what's the Bears? What's the Bears one? Ooh, Goldilocks. You're right. It's not Goldilocks. It's the Goldilocks, it's the Goldilocks. Game Night. Come on, Mark. What are we doing here? Oh, God dang it. Oh, that makes sense. Right? It Whoops. definitely makes more sense. <laughs> no, because we changed it. Remember, because when you call it the Goldilocks Game Night, then it insinuates that the medium one is the best one. And so we changed it mm, from that to go. a Cinderella Game Night, which even makes less sense. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start. I'll knock mine out because mine is... Kind of self-explanatory one, but I am a big fan of certain game designers. I'm not as big of a fan of like all game designers, but there's a handful that I'm really big fans of. And whenever they release something, I will always try to at least see what's going on. They have earned my trust. Um, there are certain publishers that do this as well, oink to say the least. And one of the designers that I really like is Alexander Fister. And so what I really like about him as a designer is he's able to make games in a whole bunch of different weights that have mechanisms that you've seen in other games, but are maybe utilized in a slightly different way in his games or using this mechanism in a way that you kind of didn't imagine, but it's the same. It's almost like someone flipping something that you know in a different way. And so I'm going to give you my game night, which is called the Tour de Fister, which is going to start off with a wonderful game, at least Mark and I think so, that's called Oh My Goods, designed by the aforementioned Alexander Fister and published by Mayfair slash Lookout Games. So what you're doing in Oh My Goods is you're different German people who are manufacturing these different things and trying to chain them into each other. So you have like a coal factory to start at the beginning, and then you can maybe build more different factories that can use this coal with other raw materials and be able to make these more valuable commodities that you're then going to maybe chain up. And maybe you take after you do that, you make some pottery. And then after you make the pottery, maybe you can turn that into like glass or I think it's bricks and then bricks can become glass or whatever. And the way that this game actually does it is by a whole bunch of multi-use cards. The cards are both resources. They're also buildings. And there are also different commodities that are going to come out during the market. So this game has weirdly almost a push your luck element to it by showing you what resources and raw materials are going to come out. So you're going to flip over a whole bunch of cards until you get a sun. And that's going to end the first half of the market phase. And then depending on what comes up, you may or may not be able to turn on certain one of your buildings. And then you only have one guy that is going to go around and turn on things. So you maybe you're in a situation where, okay, well, I might be able to turn on this resource Am I going to push my luck and say that I'm going to get all the resources from it, costing me cards from my hand, which I'm not going to explain too much, or am I going to go conservatively and be able to convert it now? And depending on what happens in the evening market, I may or may not be able to do that. So then after everybody decides that, you flip over more cards and may or may not be able to actually finish this thing. I really like the game. I know it's somewhat divisive for other people. Um, have you guys played this game before? I know you have, Mark. You're the one who taught it to me. I haven't played it. I have. It's it, it, It's a ongoing permanent resident inside my travel game case my quiver because i just i love playing it we all know how to play it i think the divisiveness comes from the fact that there was some rules problems with the first edition of this one that made it kind of not that fun to play and as such it really got panned by well no less than the dice tower about how bad it was and since then they've done a 2.0 of the rules which fixed a lot of those concerned and really made it into a great game 
The problem is I don't know that enough people went back and revisited their review later on to just say, okay, hey, it's a better and it's a better game now. I, I do believe the Dice Tower and Rado both went back and revisited with the new rules and gave it a better opinion. And I personally think that's where the divisiveness comes from. But, uh, you know, there are certainly people that have tried it recently that don't like it either. But I'm a big fan. Yeah, I am too. And what's cool about this and kind of going back to my theme for the night of it has very similar mechanism. It has cards that are used in multiple ways. They're both representing goods. They're both representing commodities. They're both representing different buildings. But what's neat about this is you kind of spend them in a different way. And the push your luck in this very straightforward conversion style game ends up being really neat. And I, I just am a big fan of this. I know we also have the expansion for it that Mark has regrettably not brought out, which may be my fault. I, I should push you harder to bring that out because I really want to try it. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, man. Absolutely. So that's our small one. So you first can see kind of this Euro conversion-y style game by Alexander Pfister. And the next game is kind of similar in the same way. So it is Broom Service, which is published by Ravensburger. What you're doing in this game is you are a whole bunch of witches who are going around the island to which you live and are delivering different potions to different regions. But the way you actually do this is by playing cards, but it's really interesting. It's I'm going to call it a trick-taking mechanism when it's really not. When it's your turn, you can play a card and you say, I am either the brave or the meek or meeble, something or another, and they're hilarious things. It's like mountain wizard. So you can say, I am the Meeble Mountain Wizard. And then if anybody has a Mountain Wizard card, they have to play it. And any person can be the Meeble Mountain Wizard, which is a less powerful way to play that card. Or if you think no one else played it, you can be the strong, brave Mountain Wizard. And then you will get A, a bonus for being the strong, brave Mountain Wizard. But there's only one person that can actually be the strong, brave person. So let's say we're towards the end of the game and Mark's looking at my board position. He's like, there's no way Jake played the Mountain Wizard card. And meanwhile, I'm sitting with the Mountain Wizard card in my hand because you get to select a certain number of cards at the start of each one of your turns from a selected pool. And turns out I did select the Mountain Wizard card, but I didn't want to play it in this order because I wanted to do a different card before it. So Mark plays, I'm the Brave Mountain Wizard. Meanwhile, I wanted to be the Brave Mountain Wizard, but two cards later when I could do something else. And I am both screwed because now I can either screw over Mark by saying I'm the Brave Mountain Wizard, but my foil plans are foiled and all this stuff. It's really fun. It's really hyper interactive. Mark, I think I played this one before you joined our game group. Have you played this one? I have never played this game at all. It's something that's always been on my map. I mean, shoot, the thing won the Kenner Spiel des Jahres in 2015. So you're not the only one that thinks it's a good game. Got it. Have you played it, Abby? Yeah, I've played it once, but it's not my type of game. The bluffing part of it. I don't really like bluffing that much. Yeah, and you so definitely have to do that. that. <laughs> there is a lot of that. Yeah. Because it's one of those things where you kind of don't want people to be the brave one, especially if they're the only one to do it. Yeah. And the card play can get really mean. It's one of the meaner games I own. And I I have some people that are adverse to uh, kind of like mm-hmm. take, I wouldn't call this game Take That, but it's ha-ha, if that feeling could be summarized in a, in a game. <laughs> and it kind of gets in that way but i'm a big fan of this game and it's definitely different than the previous it has like a mm-hmm. euro management resource convertment then pick up and deliver style thing but then on top of that you're using this near trick-taking game aspect on top of it it's weird it's different it's not like other games and then finally to round out my uh cinderella game night we're going to move into a heavier game which is by alexander fister and published by rnr games here in the states but i think originally it was published by eggert spiel which is called mombasa i know mark you've played this one 
Mm-hmm. We actually, you briefly owned this one because I went for a trade. Before I describe it, Ambie, have you played Mombasa? Yes, I've played it once. Did you like it? Yes, I think so. It was a long time ago. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's been out of print for a while. I know there's been some musings about people publishing a second edition. And Board Game Geek announced on the Geek Store that they're going to be doing the next one of the uh, sets of Geek Up bits is going to be for this game, which has got me very jazzed. I'm excited for it. What you're doing in Mombasa is your different colonial powers who are trying to invest in the newly opened world of Sub-Saharan Africa. Not the most PC theme, and it's definitely not something that I'm always interested in interacting with, but this game is very interesting. And what it does is it's a, a worker placement game, and B, a like area control game, and then C, you're also moving up three different tracks at the same time, but that's not linear stock investmentship. It's very strange, but I think it conveys a very good job of uh, doing an interesting Euro game and maybe a not very enjoyable theme, but it's an interesting game. What do you think about this game, Mark? I think card selection mechanism where you are, are like pre-putting out your cards for the next round and so forth. I think that's super cool and really, really original. And I, I have only played this once and it's been a while. So I wish I remembered it more too. And I would definitely like to play this again. Right. I think it's definitely to get played a few more times once I get the new bits. But oh, yeah. <laughs> why don't I explain kind of the cool and get a little more into the, the mechanisms here. So what Mark mentioned is, I think, one of the coolest things about this game. So this is a deck builder, just like any other deck builder, where you have a hand of cards and you get to play a certain hand of cards. So on each one, at each one of your turns, everyone's going to put out a certain number of cards that they're going to play. And these are going to be the resources they're going to use to take certain actions. But each card corresponds with a certain slot that you're A, going to then discard it into its own specific discard pile. So if you have three cards and you're going to put out three cards into the three different slots, then they cycle up to their own discard piles. And at the end of that, during the cleanup phase, you get to select one of those slots to repick back up. So you really want to pair cards with where they're going to go in the future. And maybe due to some poor planning, you may have shoved a card in some slot that you don't want with a whole bunch of other garbage and you're just never going to get that card back. You're able to get new cards mm -hmm. that increase your abilities, but it comes down to timing and certain constraints and everything. It just really pieces together a, a fun Euro style conversion management, heavier game in a weirder way. The other thing that's kind of cool about it is there is the, the continent of Africa and you get to place different little mines on them. But this is owned by everybody and that's how each one of the stocks in the four different companies is represented. And you might try to do something to be able to change the different tent locations for each one of these mines just to be able to come in there later because it only is good when you first place in there. So you might kind of cycle between the two just to get bonuses to help out you specifically while not necessarily caring as much about the about the specific winnership of the actual company. It's really cool. It's gone over really well with a lot of the people I've played it with, even though it does have that not most awesome theme about it. But what are you going to do? So that is Mombasa by Alexander Pfister and R&R Games. And on the mogul scale, I think I'd give that one a 4D. Yeah, I think you're right on target with that one. That's mm -hmm. a fairly heavy game. Awesome. Well, that's Jake Cinderella Game Night. Ambi, I'm dying to know what your theme is. What, what are you going to give us tonight? So my theme is just a mechanism, I guess. It's real-time cooperative games. Okay. Very specific genre of games because that's like one of my favorite type of game, I think. Right. Specifically real-time cooperative games. And I don't have a fancy name for this game night. RTCG. 
the real-time cooperative games, RTCG. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new kind of collecting card game. No, but I, I'm excited to hear your choices here because this is one of Mark and I's. We're both not very big fan of co-op games, but these, at least for mm-hmm. me, and I think for Mark as well, help kind of change that calculus. I like real-time games because there's so much chaos. Usually you mm-hmm. can't have quarterbacking, which is my main issue in cooperative games. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to hear. Yeah. Although sometimes you're more tempted to quarterback because of the <laughs> right. chaos. Right. There can definitely be more shouting, but it, it's thematic. It's thematic <laughs> shouting. Usually they try to make it, <laughs> usually try to make it something related to that theme. You know, as a quick lead in, what is it about this genre that uh, so appeals to you? So unlike you guys, I do like cooperative games in general. And then real-time games, I just like like I like speed games and I like when there's the stress of the timer and like I, I like that frantic hecticness. So real-time cooperative games are just really fun for me. That makes sense. Yeah, I like I like hecticness too, and it's so different compared to other games, right? There's so other games that make you give that mm-hmm. hectic, oh God, there's a timer running out feeling. And it's fun. It's fun when you're sitting around the <laughs> yeah. table doing that, you know? So for my small game, it actually doesn't have a timer. And I don't think people generally think of this as a real-time cooperative game, <laughs> but I think it is. And this is The Mind which is a card game by Wolfgang Warsh and published by Pandasaurus Games. I'm putting it in this category because there aren't any turns, so it is real time. You're just playing cards. You're trying to play cards in order, and everyone has cards, and they can't like say what card you have. It's kind of like a timing game because you're just trying to sync up your timer with the other people in your group and play your card when you think it's your turn to play. And we play, we actually sometimes time how long it takes us to finish the game. So I guess, I guess we add a timer to it. Well, I guess it would be interesting. Mark and I still have yet to play this game um, due to Mark's, uh, I would say, is is hatred the right word, Mark? (laughs) Pure unbridled anger (laughs) towards this existence. That's not... No, no, no. I, it's it's hard to hate a Fair. game you've never tried. So I can't say that I hate it because I've never tried it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've heard what it's about. I haven't experienced the apparent magic that is surrounding this game. I mean, I, I listen to it and I kind of go, hmm, and I don't, it doesn't sound terribly <laughs> interesting. Yet the people that have tried it do seem to think it's an awful lot of fun. So mm-hmm. um, it's strange that a game that simple has acquired that much popularity. So I've always been been a little curious about promotion behind this game. Yeah, it got a lot of hype, but then because of that, it was very divisive. Yeah, exactly. So And us game hipsters have to push back on it. You know, we got to be contrarians when we can be, you know. Being that we haven't played it and have been <laughs> avoiding it's a strong word, but uh, <laughs> sell us on it. Tell us why we're wrong. It's a game about syncing up with the people that you're playing with. So as you play more with the same group, you get better at it. And that's what's exciting for me, just like getting better at it with the people. And then when you have a big gap and someone like the 26 has been played and someone has a 68 and the other person has a 69, and then you're both like trying to play at the same time, and then you get it right. That can be really exciting. Gotcha. So it's almost like body language, the game. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I guess it does use something. I mean, people often will read people's positions, but not necessarily that whole hard bluffing or like, well, what do you really have? Just like where you squint your eyes and stare at the person you're playing the game yeah. with, you know? That's interesting. I guess I'm not as strong feeling. I haven't, I haven't really, I just haven't bought the game. I thought it'd be interesting to try, but I would assume that someone in our group would have it and bring it. But now, now hearing you say it, I, I think I'm more interested in trying it. 
Well, and I'll, I'll admit too, there are, you know, some oink games like uh, take a look at Dual Clash Poker, right? That's not the most interesting game on the planet by the rules. But the thing that makes that interesting right. is the social interaction. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, that's awesome. That's the mind. What would you give it on the mogul scale there, Ambie? Uh, that's a 1A. <laughs> yeah. If that's not a 1A, what is, right? <laughs> yeah. I think you legitimately taught the game, right? You just get a certain number of cards, play them. If you play them in the right order, you win. If not, you lose points, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, there's some some other rules, but yeah. <laughs> gotcha, cool. For my medium game, I picked Fuse, designed by Kane Klenko and published by Renegade Game Studios. So Fuse is also a real-time game. There's a timer, 10-minute timer, and you're trying to defuse these bombs. And the bombs are these cards. And the way you do that is you pull dice out of a bag and roll them. So one person pulls the dice equal to the number of players and rolls them, and each person has to pick a die. And then the the bomb cards that you have in front of you have specific placeholders for dice, and there's different rules of what type of dice can go there. So it's like the colors of the two dice that you place here have to be equal, or like you need a red die here, and then you need a six here or something. And once you get all of your dice placed on the card, then the bomb is diffused. But everyone has to pick a die, and if you can't place it on your card, then you roll it, and then people have to put back a dice that match either the number oh. or the color of that oh. die. Oh, <laughs> so, that seems brutal. <laughs> yeah. So it can be really brutal if you pick a—you always have two bomb cards, and if you have two hard ones that, that like, limit you to specific— like just like one specific color or number or something, then sometimes you can never get that tie. So there's some strategy in like picking, because when you finish a bomb, you pick a new bomb from the middle and they have different difficulties. So you're trying to pick a bomb that that will give you more options. So you can take whatever you want from the middle. I have a question for you. Are you allowed to communicate here in this game? Yes, yes. Okay. And are people just shouting at each other for the different symbols or is it numbers? Like, I need squiggles. You know, stop it's taking numbers, the squiggles. It's numbers, oh, luckily. it's numbers? Oh, that's even more confusing. Yeah. Okay. So it's just like, if well, anybody takes a four, I will stab them. Well, yeah. And usually we say, like, because if you finish the, the die or if you finish a bomb, that's like the top priority. So it's like, oh, I just need this to finish. And so like they just take it right away. But but sometimes it's like, oh, I can take anything, so I'll go last and someone else take whatever you need. And Very I'm assuming hectic. you want to get fast reps, right? Because the more dice, the faster you select the dice, the more dice you get out, right? Or is it fixed on the number of rounds? Yeah, yeah, you're just going fast. Okay, gotcha. So gotcha. yeah, each turn, I guess <laughs> you, you you roll the number of dice of the people, and then you pass the bag to the next person and they roll the number of dice. If you grab like the incorrect amount of dice out of the bag, you have to put it back in and re-grab it. Oh, <laughs> so you if can't you grab just too put many one dice. back in. You have to, oh, that's Yeah, chaos. you have to like grab the right amount. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Well, it, it kind of makes sense, right? Just all these little mundane things when you're trying to like diffuse mm-hmm. bomb, right? It's just going to get really hectic. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're just like, God, I can't grab four things from the bag. Why? <laughs> yeah. So Fuse is a lot of fun. I like it a lot. And it's 10 minutes. Oh, well, that's another good thing about these limited real-time games is they're only going to take a certain amount of time, no matter what you do. Yep. And on the mogul scale, I would give that a 2A. Gotcha. Actually, this one looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, this one looks wonderful. I love real-time games because, I mean, obviously we like mm-hmm. speed games because we're such big mm-hmm. fans of uh, Nine yeah. Tiles. And I grew up playing Dutch Blitz, which we call nerds locally, mm-hmm. and all that stuff where it's just like, I, I just love that feeling of just really hectic 
you know, just like grab this and your partner starts this hilarious because you're just like hitting cards to try to have them to do it. It's just, mm-hmm. it's so fun. I love, I love what games can offer with that thing. This, this should be one we get more. Yeah. Yeah. This one looks really neat. Ambie, have you ever heard of an iOS game called Space Team? Just this is a bit of an aside. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That game is fun. (laughs) Jake, this is the silliest darn game. Everybody runs a copy of it on their phone or, or iPad. And everybody's theoretically got a control panel and a spaceship, right? And Mm -hmm. everybody gets a set of orders that have to get carried out within a certain amount of time. But you don't probably have that control on your phone. So you have to yell out, manipulate the retriculator. And whoever has the retriculator on their pad has to manipulate it by sliding it to four or something like that. And somebody else has to say, increase chaos orb up to 7B. And whoever has that control has to slide it. And like literally everybody's yelling at the same time, trying to get all these (laughs) switches flipped. And it's nutty. Right. It's really fun. Well, that sounds really fun. Well, and the other fun thing about this game is that and these styles of games is it helps bring the like gaming table together. Like everybody starts, if you use these games to break the ice, maybe it might backfire, but usually people have to talk <laughs> and they like have to become like cooperative. And so you, you can really build some like yeah. agreements and something, you know, like whatever it may be, you know, you can really start to identify with each other with these games. I am, this is added to my wish list to the highest number it can be. It's a number one on the wish list. Wow. Nice. Me too. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> bring us home. All right, my big game is Space Alert, designed by Vlada Havatel and published by CGE. Space Alert is one of my favorite games, and it is, I guess it's physically big for a game, <laughs> too. Um, and it's also, I, I put it in the big for real-time games because although there's a 10-minute timer, there's also a resolution phase, which takes longer. So like the game itself takes like 45 minutes total, probably. And then also the rules are a lot more complex than a typical real-time game. <laughs> like the rules to time of game ratio is is very high. <laughs> <laughs> but Space Alert is a game where you are on a spaceship. The theme is you're on a spaceship and you're trying to take pictures of the sector in space and you like have 10 minutes to do this and but then there's like alien ships coming and attacking you so you have to survive for those 10 minutes before you can get like warped back with all the data that you've taken there's a bunch of different actions you can do you have a little figure that moves around on the board and the way you do actions is you program your movement so you have cards that either have like movement left right up down or pushing a button and in order to do things like attack the ships, you have to press buttons in certain sectors of the ship to attack the aliens that are there. And sometimes there's internal threats too. So you have to like move to the internal threats and you can pick up robots and attack those threats. The game comes with a CD because it's an older game, but but we we have an app. We downloaded an app. I think it was fan-made app where it randomizes the the threats that happen. So Basically, it's a 10 minute thing that has, you can set the difficulty and then it says like, oh, in sector red, there's like red, blue, and white. That's like left, middle, and right. I, f- I forget exactly which is which, but but it says, oh, at time two, a threat appears in sector oh. red. And so there's 12 time total. And then, wait, is it a 12 minute timer? I'm not actually sure what the timer is, but there's 12 time and it's broken up into three parts. So then like, you know when the threat appears and, it, and each threat has a card that tells you how it moves and how it attacks. 
So like each turn it moves two and then it attacks and it does this much damage or something. You can like build up shields or attack it and try to kill it so that you don't die and you have to survive all the way. So you're like working together because you need to work together to attack the things because you can both shoot guns at the same time to do more damage. And there, wow. there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it definitely Pretty complicated sounds like rules. that because this is one I've always been aware of. But I do have a question for you. Are you doing different like are you different people like are you the engineer and then mark's like the uh i don't know navigator or something are you all doing kind of the same thing but your table will kind of build up depending on what you like specialize in or how does that work you can all do the same thing so you get dealt cards at the beginning for what the program actions are and those are like shuffled up and they're double-sided so there's like a button on one side and then the the movement on the other side. So if you get dealt like only A buttons, the A button is usually the attacking one. Then you say, oh, I can attack a lot. Also, each round someone has to uh, wiggle the mouse on the computer or else the screensaver will go on and that Oh like, my gosh, this game like, really has everything. It's <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this, it's funny, like they have funny theme for the rules. But yeah. Oh my gosh, um, that's hilarious. But yeah, so like you don't pick up the cards until the timer starts. So you pick up the cards, see what you have and be like, oh, I can, I can do this. I can go to this sec- sector and do something here. And I have a lot of these cards. And then also sometimes you can trade cards with people. Like if the app says transfer information or something, I forget the exact order, but there's an order where you can trade oh, cards wow. with people. So this is both a, a very heavy, complicated game, but also, or relative reasonably, plus it's timed mm-hmm. and confusing. This seems like chaos, the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so it's hard to get played because it, the rules are so complicated. Um, but when you have a group that knows how to play it, and I've never just played it once, I think. Like we played it multiple times because you play it the first time and then people are like, okay, now we know how to play. And then keep playing and it can it's really exciting and then if and then also you don't know until you resolve it if if people messed up because you're programming the things you're putting the cards down and you don't know if other people did what they needed to do because it's so hectic (laughs) and then at the end you resolve everything in order and be like okay i did this i did this and like oh shoot you're supposed to do that last turn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and oh, the timing doesn't work out oh. and then you we all die like in real life got it <laughs> okay cool very thematic <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's it's really exciting when you win gotcha so what would you give this as an, on the mogul scale for weight um i i put a 3b mm. yeah because rules are pr- fairly complicated and then but like it's real time so it can't be too it's it's still pretty you have to like think ahead and stuff but it's real time right. so you can't really right. so that makes sense. I guess B for Well, I think we do have a copy strategy. of this floating around in our game group, Mark. Maybe we should uh, suggest that they bring it out and do some kind of older games with the CDs and everything. <laughs> make sure we yeah, download sure the app. Yeah. Let's, 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 yeah. let's uh, yeah. bring this to the new millennium. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, that's awesome. Great choices. <laughs> cool. I know this is a game that uh, Shut Up and Sit Down thinks very highly of also. So I think this is right in their wheelhouse. So I think that's where I've heard it talked about mostly. Sounds like silly fun, so I'm in. (laughs) Yep. All right, what's yours, Mark? Bring us home. I'm going down a different path with my games for tonight, and my theme is going to be games that when I teach, I inadvertently start speaking in tongues during the teach. Explain this. (laughs) So, yeah. So I often teach games in our group and I uh, get pretty I work on my teaches and make sure that I really explain games well. And, and you do a good job, by the way. You do a great job. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. 
for whatever reason, these are games that have resisted my best efforts to make them easy to teach. In fact, so much so that even when I teach them well, everybody just stares blankly after I'm done. And I literally stop and say, did I just did I, did I start speaking in tongues halfway through that rule teach? Because <laughs> like apparently y'all didn't get right. it. <laughs> so let me back this one up and try again. And so these are all games that for some reason, just people have trouble grasping the rules of when you teach them. And I end up like re-explaining the game 18 times during the play. So with that explanation in there, and, and by the way, none of these games are actually very difficult. They're, the rules are somewhat simple in all of them, but they just don't right. and stick they're for whatever weird. reason. So yeah. yes, all of these have a unique aspect about them that make them kind of tough to understand. I'm going to start out with my small game here right now. And that small game is a game that I actually got from you because I don't think you understood the rules. I did understand the <laughs> rules. I just it was silly. Go, go, go ahead. I'll explain my, my opinions on it after. So that game is Turin Market by Jordan Draper and Jordan Draper Games. It's a very small auction game. It's probably the smallest box game that I own, actually. It's a tiny little game where you're trying to collect the most of a specific vegetable from the turn market or fish or potato or eggs or something like that. What's wacky about it is it has an auction mechanism that's strange. Like if you get caught behind the eight ball, you still have to pay. And if you tie with somebody else, you actually have to rebid and pay extra. For some reason, the explanation of that one just gets lost on everybody. So I end up re-explaining the first time everybody ties. I have to re-explain that. And then I have to re-explain how putting things up for sale goes. And I have to re-explain how the scoring goes at the end. And, you know, for a game that's in a three inch by two inch by one inch box, man, I spend a lot of time explaining the rules for this game. Right. And there's what, 18 cars in it? Something along those lines, maybe 30. Yeah, exactly. So I like it. I find it a very stressful little auction game that, you know, there's a lot of different ways to win. And there's some different strategies on do you push aggressively and take loans or do you bottom feed? And that tends not to get played a lot because it tends to require a lot of explanation for what's a pretty simple game. Jake, what was your take on it? So my take was I had just played this game during my great light economic game awakening of 2019 or 2018. Last fall, we got a whole bunch of light economic games, one of them being the estates, the other one being modern art. And then through those, I just played both of those games with my family and I had this new game and I pull it out at the cabin. I was like, hey, who wants to try this game? And we play it and it just fell flat. And I don't think it was because of the rules explanation. We had a grasp of it. We played it twice, actually. It just was, I'd probably rather have those kind of weirdness things go away and play a game like modern art or even if we have time, the estates beyond that. We're kind of more in the game to start with. Have you played this one before, Amy? I have not. Gotcha. It's it's a little more obscure of a game. It, I don't. Mm -hmm. I think it's only available from Jordan direct, Draper directly. I've never seen it at a mm -hmm. game store before. Yeah, and I think also maybe Jake playing that with your family wasn't the greatest call. I mean, I don't oh, know which no, members I think, of your I family. I think it's a gamer's game. I think for so. sure. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a gamer's game. Yeah. And, and, and that just wasn't something I needed, you know, if I'm going to play that. But you picked it up for me for a fair price. And hey, you love it. So maybe I get to play it again and I get to eat my words. I will say, though, I pulled this out at uh, MidsumCon among train gamers. And oh, man, <laughs> that was actually the toughest rules teach I've ever done. Yeah. And right after you played 1822, right? Yeah, like I feel like I could have explained Liz Boy in a shorter amount of time. <laughs> so Hilarious. 
that's Turin Market. I'd give it a 2B on the mogul scale. It's There's some interesting decisions. It's definitely a gamer game, but I'm giving it a plus one because apparently the rules are hard to understand. Gotcha. My second game on this one is a game that shouldn't be on this list. It's a game that I actually traded away because of the fact that I just got sick of explaining it, not understanding why it was so difficult to understand. And that game is Seven Wonders by Antoine Bauza, published by Repos Games. It's a little draft game where you pass cards around a table and you're trying to collect sets. And depending on what type of set you have gives you some bonus, like they might give you a military increase. They might be the resource you need to complete a wonder, or it might just give you some uh, science icons that you complete a set to to get some extra bonus points at the end of the game. It should be that easy to explain that game, and I don't understand why it isn't. So much so that I've pretty much decided that Sushi Go gives you the same bang. It's by the same author. And people do actually understand that one after the first teach through. So I got sick of trying to explain it and ended up trading it away. Either of you have Seven Wonders love or experience with this one? No. I played it once a long time ago before I started logging plays. And Yeah, I'm trying to think about when I played it. It was five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And your experience is very similar to ours. We played it on a big family vacation to North Carolina and we were at the house of the night and it plays up to like seven people, right? Yeah. I think what happened was like half the people just didn't understand what was going on because we played with people that weren't that into games. And meanwhile, the people in my family that are very into games were like, oh gosh, this is great. And like, it was like the haves and have nots. But I mean, functionally, <laughs> all you're doing is grabbing a card and it like does something, right? It's either going to increase one of your stats and that might hurt your people next to you. If it's this kind of card, maybe you'll get this new wonder thing or you could trade it in for this wonder. Um, I pretty much haven't had any need to play this game. I never owned it and never really wanted to. But I do like the duels version, which I think does the same kind of civilization building thing with a lot less of the shenanigans of the uh, big seven wonders game. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think it ends up coming out in lighter crowds than it really should. So mm-hmm. I, that was my challenge is that I was trying to teach a teach card drafting at the same time while teaching Seven Wonders. And I don't know that that went over super well. And I think that's why uh, I, I've landed on Sushi Go because mm-hmm. it fit, seems to fit that crowd better. Yeah. And I think part of the difficulty of Seven Wonders is also the scoring. Because I remember when I played, I don't think the scoring was really explained to, to us. Right. And I think it's I think it's super point salady too, right? I mean, there's a whole score sheet that goes along with this thing. That's my medium choice. Seven Wonders by Antoine Bauza. My third one we actually talked about earlier today. This is a game that I'm going to give a split mogul score to. I'm going to give it the rules itself should make it a two. But by the time you take in all the asynchronous power, it's solidly a four. And the game I'm talking about is Sidereal Confluence. Sidereal Confluence is a trading and negotiation game by designer Tau Seti Dykeman, published by WizKid Games. And this is a game that is all about trading with the other people at the table to get the resources that you need and also the machinery that you need to convert those resources so that you can generate enough points to win. Simple at its concept, the problem is, is that every single faction has wildly different rules about how their faction works and what their faction's interested in doing. If you're playing with a bunch of people that have never played this before, you have to teach the rules to the game. Then you have to teach everybody the rules to their faction so that they can understand what to do well enough in order to do the trading and negotiation that goes along with it. And oh, hey, by the way, a lot of the gamers in our group aren't super into negotiation and trading anyway. (laughs) So 
<laughs> I'll explain the rules and then I'll work with everybody to explain, okay, now your faction actually has to give things away in order to get the maximum benefit. And they're like, wait, stop. What is the turn order again? As a result, what is should be a real-time trading game and play out in two hours ends up taking all night because people end up with mm-hmm. so many explanations to how their faction works that I don't think a lot of times it ends up playing out well. And you mentioned earlier tonight, uh, Ambie, that this is a game that you play in your group often. I've only played it a few times. Um, it's just owned yeah, often. Our, our friend really likes it. <laughs> Three copies in a group is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this is a somewhat obscure game too, so I'm surprised there's that many of them. <laughs> yeah. People, uh, it's, I think... It's our friend's favorite game at this point. Wow. Hard stop. <laughs> cool. Do you remember this game being difficult to learn or have you seen it be difficult to learn among newer players? Well, most of the people that we've played it with have been pretty seasoned gamers. So it, it hasn't been too difficult for them to learn. And I think also on each um, on each faction card, there's a summary that has some tips on how to play it. Which helps. Yeah. Sure. So if you read over that, that, that can help. The, actually, the last time they played, I wasn't playing, but they did have some new players playing. So I'm not sure if it was too difficult for them. I think they were a little overwhelmed, but they were able to play and enjoyed it. Right. Sure. I think my main complaint with this game is just people know what to do. And even if you have a Eurocentric like brain, like if you've played a lot of Euro style games, all this is is converting cubes into other things. And they have a little chart that shows you what stuff is like equal to on the top. Mm -hmm. But you don't know really like how good that is for them at that point in time. And so I feel like I'm either giving my stuff away for free. (laughs) Yeah. Or I'm being like pricing way too high. And somebody bought it for agreed to my deal. And I just completely gutted them. Because they clearly didn't understand that was even. Or if we're just trading on even footing, it's like, oh, well, all I'm doing is really converting. This could have been a bank off the board. You know what I mean? Yeah. What what I find, too, is that people get target lock on this one where I have the three things I need to run my converter. I'm not trading. Yeah, right. Where it's like, I'm not going to do anything. I built my economy. (laughs) Where you're like, well, well, hold on. But if you trade, I'm willing to give you five things for those three things, because I actually probably need those five things, those three things worse than you do. And you can actually then take those five things and parlay them into nine things, which you can then run your other machine three times rather than that one that you're locked in on. And I have a hard time talking people into that. They're just like, nope, I got my three things to run my machine. Right. I'm done. Because it's, it's, it's all about scarcity, right? It's, it's about what's scarce on the board at that point in time. And yeah, you may have the things you want, but you could also use this. And you have an extra cube that you get to play around with. Like you're not always helping everything. This game is definitely not as if you think it from like a zero sum scenario, you can definitely not really benefit everybody on it. Boy, this is a game I'd like to play with people that know the factions well and can and and are willing to explore some interesting trades to, you know, okay, you know, five cubes are better than two cubes. And regardless of whether they're the ones I need or not, and I'm sure I can turn those into something I need and. That just that's never been my play experience with new players. And so I have a hard time trying to explain the game mindset mm-hmm. along right. with the game rules. Well, I just don't feel like I should be allowed to play this game because as a professional salesperson, I just think it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's like irresponsible and unethical to use my my sales <laughs> abilities for 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 bad when they should only be used for good. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is there, sales boy. Mark, I am batting pretty good. I did pretty well. I was the mafia the last time we played. I was the people that always just like, I'm going to tax you unless you pay me. And it was great. I ran a racketeering <laughs> squad. I'll play it with you anytime, any place, Jake. Now we just need to find others that will too. Gotcha. 
All right. That's my third game. That's the big one that the rules seem to take more time than they should. That's Sidereal Confluence by Tauceti Dykeman and WizKids. So that brings us to the end of our, is it Cinderella or is it the Three Bears game night, Goldilocks game night? What are we going to call this? It's the something. It's the small, medium, large. Should we call it Russian nesting dolls of gaming? That one makes (laughs) more sense. (laughs) See, right? Doesn't that make more sense? We, We didn't name this well. We have to figure out a good name for this. We'll think about it. Sounds great. Ambie, it's been awesome having you on tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. We hope you had a good time. Yep, it was fun. Anything you're doing right now that you'd like to plug while you get the moment? Right now, I'm currently pregnant, so I'm I'm on a hiatus <laughs> from doing too much. Uh, I have another 18xx video that I've filmed, and I'm ready to publish at some point in the next couple of months, so that I have something go out while I will I have babies but um (laughs) (laughs) and you mean babies right yes i'm pregnant with twins and they're coming soon that's so awesome congratulations that's so great (laughs) do do literally any day now as i understand correct yeah because twins come early so they can they can come anytime (laughs) i'm not sure when (laughs) oh god you guys are gonna have a quick gaming group you don't have to leave your house give it 10 years yeah and you're just going to have a whole gaming group. You don't have to do anything. We actually are, already have a shelf of kids' games that we've played with other people. Oh, my gosh. In, in preparation. Nice. <laughs> That's so funny. I hope all gamers come with that, where it's like all these kids' games come along with buying the crib. You know, we finally get to buy Haba games. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's so great. Congratulations. Congratulations, and thank the three of you for joining us. (laughs) That's so awesome. We got one guest for the price, or three guests for the price of one. Awesome. So that's it for Mark and Jake. For me, good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Good night. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.